I know that any of us would say, because it just seems like the right thing to say, because it is true that any and all of the words of Jesus are in themselves remarkable. But these words are indeed remarkable, but they're incredible, really. Imagine for a moment the disciples' confusion and sadness. Picture what they're going through, what they might have made of the statement that he will not leave them as orphans. What's that fully mean? That he won't leave us as orphans even though he's going to leave us. All of that sounded confusing. And then further, he said, the spirit of truth will be with you and will remain with you forever. You won't be orphaned. You will experience me still. All of that sounded wonderful, but they had to be thinking, Jesus, we'd still rather have you. Somehow in that mysterious and magnificent way, and in the beauty of the Holy Trinity, Jesus assures them of an amazing reality that they were inextricably linked as friends forever, forever. That he was in them, that they were in him, that they were all in the Father, and the Father was all in them. And even more, that they were loved by the Father and loved by himself, Jesus, forever, forever. That was the promise of the farewell discourse. Pastor Mark Rawls has commented on these verses with a helpful insight. He said, Jesus wasn't just saying that he loved the disciples. He was saying he cherished them. He cherished them. Put that word in your minds. This is beyond loving the disciples. He cherished them. It is, after all, even a better emotion than loving someone to cherish them to hold them so closely in your heart, to engage in them, with them, a profound commitment to the relationship. To cherish is to install in that relationship a profound and lasting commitment. I remember Laurie and I saying those words 35 years ago that we would love, honor, and cherish each other. 35 years ago, we were extremely young. We were so very young. <laughs> and we were young. We were 23 and 22, and we were promising to love, honor, and cherish one another. The loving part was easy. It took a few years to figure out what cherishing was all about. And that's what Jesus called on his disciples and like in a marriage for Laurie and me, which we would say, what a wonderful thing to cherish one another. Imagine how wonderful it would be to be cherished, to be cherished by the very Son of God. So, so far, so good. I'm sure we would all agree that Jesus made a beautiful farewell statement. It's lovely. And on our good days, we would acknowledge that we are deeply, deeply loved by God. But here are the real questions for this morning. Because if we're normal, we don't just have good days. We have days that aren't so good. 
So what do we do on the bad days? Who do we lean on when troubles come? Does the text of the Bible give us hope for when we hit an emotional bottom in our lives? Can Jesus really be present for us when he's not present with us in the flesh? Does the Holy Spirit really come alongside of us? Does it come alongside us when we hurt, or is that just sort of religious jargon that we say to, because it sounds good to us? The psalmist is asking these very same questions. He gives us at least a partial answer. But hear these words from Psalm chapter 66. As he takes us from the struggles of life to the hope of the presence of God in the midst of our struggles. Praise our God, he says, all peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard. He has preserved our lives and kept our feet from slipping. For you, God, tested us. You refined us like silver. You brought us into prison and laid burdens on our backs. Come and hear all you who fear God. Let me tell you what he has done for me. I cried out to him with my mouth. His praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But God has surely listened and heard my prayer. Praise be to God who has not rejected my prayer or withheld his love from me. Praise be to the God who cherishes his people. The psalmist is telling us that when troubles come, God is present with his people. And then Jesus obviously gives an even greater assurance. He says that he will ask the Father for an even more fuller, complete help that God will give us another counselor forever to be with us forever, the Holy Spirit. Many of the translations of the scriptures here will use the word counselor. God will give a counselor in Jesus to be with us. That's a fine word. But when I think of counselor, I think of someone you or I would go to in order to pour out our problems or to receive guidance or to get counsel about something we ought to amend in our lives or some hurt that we've experienced. Counselors are wonderful and they're helpful and they're often necessary. But that's the word counselor. There's another translation of this word, and it's the word that the Holy Spirit would become a part of us as our comforter. That's helpful too. We all at times need comfort. But in my worst moments, I don't just need comforting. What I really need is a solution. I want a solution. I want clarity. Many scholars think it's a third word that is in some of our translations that's the best translation of the original here. And that is this counselor or comforter, this presence of the Holy Spirit, is best described with the word strengthener. That God offers us a strengthener, one who imparts strength to us to live life. A counselor or a comforter might make help, help us to make the best of a bad situation. But a strengthener, one who convinces us of the reality of, a, of 
of God's presence in our lives, thus giving us strength, might well accomplish a change of heart in us, not just temporary relief. It may not change the situation. It likely won't. It won't likely make the problem go away. But when the strengthener bolsters us, it clarifies matters for us. It causes us to be able to face the future believing in God's providential care. I promise you, Jesus said, when the strengthener comes, you will have my full presence. You will have my full attention. You will have my strength. That reality of the strengthener's presence is a gift. It's a joyful, unmerited gift we receive as the children of God to have dwelling in us the very Holy Spirit of God, the very presence of Jesus. This is the promise to believers. This is the promise to God's people. We're never alone, and we can always be resourced for strength when we face the decidedly difficult challenges that life brings to every one of us. About four years ago, I had the privilege to spend a couple of days with one of the most God-possessed, strong Christian people I have ever known. In a moment, I'm going to tell you who that was and how it happened. But first, I want to give you a little backstory. A few years ago, there was an author, an amazing woman named Lauren Hillenbrand, who wrote her first best-selling book, a wonderful telling of the story of a horse named Seabiscuit. Does anybody remember the book or the movie Seabiscuit? Yeah, I see hands all over the place. Well, good, then you know the story. No, I'll tell you the story. Seabiscuit was a, was a lowly regarded racehorse who had stumbled into the racing business kind of by accident by owners who sort of didn't know better. But that horse became a thoroughbred champion in the midst of the Great Depression. And Lauren Hillenbrand wrote that book at a time when, like any time in our country's life, people need encouragement. They wrote that, she wrote that book and told the story of Seabiscuit, how this horse electrified a nation with hope that was down on its luck in those dark days of the Great Depression. America was happy to find a hero, even if that hero was a horse. Then a few years later, Lauren Hillenbrand found another rising from the ashes hero, in the, perp- in the person of a man named Louis Zamperini. Hillenbrand talked many times with Louis Zamperini, who, a man who had passed his 90th birth- birthday and was still a vital person, but had disappeared from this public eye. He had been a major, major figure, as I'll go on to explain in a moment. And she had found out about his story again and wanted to retell it for our country. So she wrote the book, Unbroken. How many of you have read the book, Unbroken? Once again, many hands go up. Well, when I read Seabiscuit and enjoyed um, Lauren Hillenbrand's work and then found this book, Unbroken, and read it, I was utterly captivated not only by this writer but also this character. So I was working at a church in Northern California 
told a couple of my pastor friends and the staff there about this, about the book. Say, you've got to read this book. This is a great book. They read it and they agreed. And then finally on a whim, and I don't do this much, I said, we got to go down and meet Louis Zamperini, this amazing man who Lauren Hillenbrand has written about in the book Unbroken. So on a whim, we finally managed to contact Louis Zamperini. We flew down to Los Angeles. We taped two days' worth of interviews with Louis Zamperini, and we hung out with this amazing guy. Frankly, I wanted to capture his story, but I also just wanted to meet this particular person. So if you don't know about his life, let me tell you a little bit about the man. In his younger days, and Louis still living, still in his 90s, Louis was an undisciplined, lazy student who grew up kind of out of control in the Torrance, California area. He was a student, sort of. He was a part-time troublemaker. He was also gifted with legs faster than most mortals could even dream about running. Louis likes to, to joke, and he told us on that day that he never got in trouble with the law simply because the law could never catch him, which is a pretty fun gift. Louis became a track star at the University of Southern California and during his freshman year made the United States Olympic team and went to the 1936 Olympic Games in Berlin, Germany. As the youngest runner on the team, he wasn't expected to medal. No one expected him to do that, and he didn't. But his closing sprint at the end dazzled this Berlin crowd, and it was so impressive that he was called to the box seats, which is a, a mixed bag to say the least, of the box seats of Adolf Hitler for a handshake, a moment that was captured on film and and uh, is, was well-known throughout the country and around the world. Louis Zamperini had become an international athletic sensation, and he was so fast that he was projected to almost easily win the gold four years later at the 1940 Olympic Games just due to natural maturity and strength that he would gain because he was still a very young man. He was also projected to be the man who would first break the four-minute mile. But there would, of course, be no Olympic Games in 1940. War had broken out. Louis Zamperini had joined the Army Air Corps and was flying in the Pacific in the, for our country. He was shot down. And Louis first became a hero, or maybe one could say for the second time became a hero, because after he was shot down, he lived for a month a full month in a life raft with no water and no food except a couple of rain showers that came his way. Then he was taken prisoner and was tortured for two years in a barbaric prisoner of war camp. So Louis Zamperini has now been a hero twice. From the Berlin Olympic Games, from his fame as a runner, from now coming home from the war as a war hero a survivor of tremendous cruelty. We know a lot more about post-traumatic stress disorder now than we did in those days. But when Louis came home to a hero's welcome, no one knew how much pain he was in. No one knew the fullness of his emotional struggle. 
He came home to a ticker tape parade. He came home to his own hometown, renaming their little airport after him. They came, he came home to great, great acclaim. Having now been nationally famous twice, but dealing with all of this disorder in his mind and body, Louis Zamperini didn't know what else to do. He turned to alcohol to soothe his fevered mind, but nothing would help. Soon his life, his marriage, all of it was falling apart. Louis was in an alcoholic haze. He spent his days that way. Finally, his wife gave him a choice. She said, either I'm leaving you or you can go see this man named Billy Graham who is speaking at a crusade in Los Angeles. I'm either out of here you can go to the crusade, you make your decision. Louis couldn't see himself facing life without his wife. And so you can imagine what happened. Louis grudgingly went to one of the first nights of the crusade, was convicted of his need for God, but wasn't ready to make a decision. He went home. The second night he decided, I'll go back. He made his step forward. He received Christ as his Savior. And Louis told us in the interview that we had with him, he affirmed what Lauren Hildenbrand has written. He said, I had an amazing sense of strength that came over me that night. When I went home, my mind, my body was entirely at peace. I had not slept in years, and I slept the night Away. God had given me strength and peace in a miraculous way. So, fast forward with me to the visit we had with Louis in his cluttered living room. Louis lives in a, a modest home in the Hollywood Hills. He bought that home shortly after coming back from the war. It's kind of a ramshackled place, very comfortable home for him. And by the way, Louis lives just above Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie's house. I was unsuccessful interviewing them. That didn't, that didn't happen. But the three of us all had questions for Louis. We all had questions that we wanted to ask him. We wanted to know what was the secret to his emotional and spiritual strength then at 91 years old and extremely vital. What I really wanted to know, and what I had the privilege of asking him, was how have you made it this long through all you've been through with the stamina and the strength to move ahead? I knew he would credit Christ for all the changes that occurred in his life. I knew that much. What I wanted to know was how did it become operational for him? And what Louis did in a way surprised me, and in a way it didn't surprise me. What Louis did then was rattle off by memory scripture verse after scripture verse after scripture verse, pointing to the strength that God had given him in Christ and through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. He stated unequivocally to us that day that his regular memorization of scripture 
enabled him to be a strong person in, in the face of the adversities that still would come, like to all of us, his way. He found strength through the agency and the person of the Holy Spirit. Now, I tell you all of that account because I know, I know for me, and frankly, I know for you, that all of us need strength for the journey. I meet a lot of tired people. Been a little weary lately myself. You know what it's like to feel weary. As Scott Peck once put it with elegant simplicity in his book, The Road Less Traveled, life is difficult. Life is just difficult. Understanding and accepting that is the first full step to mental and spiritual health. But for the Christian, there is an available resource for dealing with the struggles of life. It's the presence of Christ in our lives who, by the work of the Holy Spirit, provides the strength to face whatever comes our way, the strength to move ahead under the banner of faith. So on this day, on a weekend of hopefully some rest, on this day, if your zeal is flagging, you're not alone. If on this day your memories are sorrowful, Christ offers you his peace. If tomorrow seems grim, rather than asking for the problem to go away, ask for the Spirit's strength to meet the challenges you will face. Because in his farewell discourse, Jesus promised, promised that his Spirit would be ever with us to meet the needs of life. He's left us an entirely sufficient source of strength. May you know its power. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you. Thank you that when Jesus said goodbye, he didn't leave us as orphans. He left us with great power and strength. For the promise of your presence, for the joy of our relationship with you, for the strength to live that you give us every day, we, your people, give you our thanks and our praise. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, always with us, always a part of us. Amen.